0: So we are continuing in our series in the book of Judges this morning. And we come to the second half of the story of Samson, one of the more, probably the most famous judge. And this begins on page 214 in your pew Bible. I'm just going to read chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. So This is Judges, chapter 15, verses 1 to 20 beginning on page 214 in the Pew Bible. Here now, the eternal living word of God. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion." Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches... He let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the 10 because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah. And made a raid on Lahai. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom. And said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lahai, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey... Heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone of his hand, and that that place was called ramath Lahai. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lahai, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called An-Hakur. It is at Lahai to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Okay. So I spent most of my adult life, coaching sports. I coached high school basketball, high school soccer, college soccer, all divisions. Division 3, Division 2, Division 1. I even worked with some professional soccer teams. One of the most difficult things to do at coaching at every level is to get a group of individuals to buy into a team-first mentality. And the interesting thing is that all the players want to win. And they all seem to know that in order to win, they have to sacrifice for the team. They have to put the team first. But still, season after season, most teams are full of players that haven't bought into putting the needs of the team before their own personal needs. And the reason is what legendary NBA coach Pat Riley calls the disease of me. The biggest hurdle to the success of a sports team is the ego of the players, No matter how talented a group of individuals may be, selfishness is always lurking to derail their efforts to win. But selfishness isn't only present in sports. The disease of me affects all of us, everywhere. The 19th century author George Stillman Hillert summarized the issue well when he wrote, The force of selfishness is as inevitable and as calculable as the force of gravitation. That is, selfishness is certain. Everyone suffers from selfishness. Sin causes us to love ourselves in in a way that manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-promotion, self-sufficiency, self-will, self-worship, and so on. The love of self is an issue for all of humanity, all people everywhere throughout all of time. And it causes us to primarily think about what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And it creeps into everything we do, our jobs, our families. It can even creep into ministry and worship. So last week, Kyle spoke about the origin story of Samson, where Samson was set apart at birth by God as a Nazarite. There was a vow for a Nazarite vow. He wasn't able to touch dead animals, an unclean animal, he wasn't able to drink alcohol, and he wasn't able to cut his hair. And that plays into the second half of the story today. So in this passage, we'll see the end of the Samson story. And from it, we'll see three aspects of selfishness from the life of Samson. His selfish revenge, his selfish leadership, and his selfish servitude. And so our passage begins right at the beginning of chapter 15 with Samson returning to his Philistine wife. So in chapter 14, Samson marries one of the daughters of the Philistines. And the Philistines are a pagan nation. They are at at that time oppressing his people. And his job is, as being raised up by God is to deliver his people from the Philistines. But he actually goes and marries one of them. And so this is actually forbidden in the law of Moses for God's people at that time to marry someone from a pagan worshiping nation. And even though Samson's parents tried to dissuade him, Samson wanted to marry the Philistine woman. He said, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. And so he does marry her. But then we read it it was actually from the Lord. God seems to use Samson's selfish, sinful marriage as a way to get at the Philistines. And so then there's a wedding feast, and Samson challenges the Philistine men there with a riddle. He tells them, if you solve it, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you don't solve the riddle, you'll have to give me those things. But the Philistines enlist his wife to go to him and get the answer, and she does. She, she immediately finds out the uh, answer to the riddle and then betrays him immediately and goes and tells him. And so Samson goes out and kills 30 Philistines, just random Philistine men, steals their clothes and uses that as the payment. And so then at the end of chapter 14, it ends with him going back to his father's house in a rage after this. And the last verse, verse 20, says, And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. And so that's where now in chapter 15 we see, after some time, Samson went to his father's house, we don't know how long, but it seemed to have been a while. It took him some time to calm down. He comes back to reclaim his wife. And he shows up with a gift, a young goat. And so it's kind of like the ancient equivalent of showing up with flowers and a box of chocolates. <laughs> and he shows up, and he wants to go into his wife's room. And his father-in-law stops him and says in verse 2, I really thought you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. So the father-in-law seems to assume that Samson wasn't coming back. And so he gave her to his best man. And so to make up for this, he offers her younger, more beautiful sister. But Samson is his own man. He's not going to be told who to marry. His wife is not going to be taken away from him without recourse. No matter how long he left her without any sort of contact. And so Samson responds in verse 3. This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So he catches 300 foxes, he ties their tails together, and he sets their tails on fire, and he lets them loose through the lands of the Philistines. And the foxes set fire to all the fields of the grain and all the olive orchards, and destroying all of their their income. So naturally, the Philistines question, who has done this? And they were answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Tenite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines went and they burned Samson's wife and her father. And so immediately Samson swears revenge. He says, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And then in verse 8 it says, he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and then he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. He struck them hip and blow seems to be an idiom for a total victory, meaning Samson completely defeated the Philistine men that he fought that day. But this really brings us to our first aspect of selfishness we see in Samson's life his selfish revenge. We see throughout the life of Samson that he is a man of revenge. Every time he fights with the Philistines, he's only doing it out of revenge. He's supposed to be the leader that God has called for his people. A leader to lead them out of oppression under the hand of the Philistines. We saw all the other judges, mostly leading war against the people to free his people. Samson doesn't even consider that. The only thing he wants from the Philistines is their women. But he will fight them out of revenge. And the thing about revenge is that it's always selfish. We want revenge because our pride is hurt. We want revenge, and we retaliate because it makes us feel better when someone wrongs us. I've been a high school teacher for almost 20 years now. And and students will often claim self-defense when they get into a fight. But when they start to tell the story, it starts to become pretty clear that they weren't defending themselves. One time a student told me he was complaining about how he got in trouble for defending himself. And he told me the story, he said he got punched in the head by a student, in the back of the head, and the student ran away. And he had to chase him for several blocks, and then he caught him and he beat him up. And he really thought this was defending himself. Now obviously it's wrong for a kid to punch him in the back of the head. But if you have to chase him for several blocks, you're no longer defending yourself. You're now defending your pride. You're now retaliating, you're getting revenge. And retaliation and revenge is always selfish. And this is why Jesus teaches against it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38-42, to 42, Jesus said this, You have heard it, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He's saying if someone wrongs you or harms you, don't retaliate. Don't get revenge. Instead, still show them love, kindness, and gentleness that you would show to someone who shows you love. This doesn't mean we should be fools and allow people to abuse us, but we should be different than those who don't have Jesus in their life. There should be a contrast between the lives of believers and the lives of those who do not have Christ. And one difference should be that we don't get revenge. Jesus goes on to say that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This is so radically different than how the rest of the world behaves. But we have been called by a radical Savior. Now Samson, He does retaliate. Every time. And this just creates a cycle of revenge and violence as it always does. And after he gets revenge for the death of his wife and his father, in verse 9 we read that the Philistines then attacked his people. They made a raid on Judah's territory. And then Judah comes up and asks them, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Notice how... There's no difference between how Samson thinks and how the Philistines think. He speaks of revenge. They speak of revenge. And so then 3,000 men of Judah go down to find Samson. Now, notice they take 3,000 men. They're very aware of what Samson's capable of. And they say to him, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over this? What then is this that you have done to us? And he says, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Pretty much, I was just getting revenge. And so then the men of Judah say, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. So Samson agrees to go with them as long as they will not kill him themselves, and they swear not to kill him. So they bind him and they take him to the Philistines so the Philistines can kill him. It's interesting to note that no one in this story is focused on serving the Lord at this point in the book of Judges. It doesn't even seem to cross their minds. Samson is completely focused on himself. He doesn't even care about God's will for him at all. He doesn't care about delivering his people from the hand of the Philistines. The people of Judah are completely content with being ruled by the Philistines to the point that they bind the Savior that God has raised up for them and hand them over to the Philistines. And so now Samson is brought to Lehi, where the Philistines are, and they come up shouting to meet him. And this time we're told in verse 14, that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and the ropes melted off his arms. And this, he took a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And this would have been unclean, so it it was a dead animal. This would have been a violation of his Nazarite vow. But he takes it anyway, and he uses it to kill 1,000 Philistines. Now, it's very easy to casually read that. Samson killed 1,000 Philistines. But the magnitude... Of one man killing a thousand other men with just the jawbone of a donkey can't be understated. This is clearly the work of the Lord. The Philistines that Samson was fighting weren't accountants. They don't work in a cubicle all day. They were warriors. So for one warrior to defeat even just a few dozen warriors at the same time would be astounding. For one warrior to defeat a hundred other warriors would be unheard of. But for one man to defeat 1,000 warriors without even a sword is nothing short of the miraculous work of God. But in his typical narcissism, Samson says a little poem to gloat over his victory. He said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down 1,000 men. But then we see after he kills them, he becomes very thirsty. In verse 18, he calls upon Yahweh. He calls upon the Lord, and he says, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Samson seems to only call out to God, or even care about God, when he needs something. Even his prayers are selfish. But once again, God graciously delivers his servant. God uses even this selfish man eventually to deliver his people. We see God using broken sinners all throughout the book of Judges to complete his work. And so God splits open a rock and water comes out from it, and Samson drinks from it. His his spirit is returned and he's revived. And so then this account closes with telling us that Samson judged Israel for 20 years, or led Israel for 20 years during the time ruled by the Philistines. So then the scene is changed to Gaza, in in chapter 16. This is in the territory of the Philistines. And so, as one called by God to lead Israel over the Philistines, Samson spends a lot of time fraternizing with the enemy, instead of working to defeat them. And we're told that Samson goes to Gaza and sees a prostitute there, and he spends the night with her. And the people of Gaza are told, Samson is here. So at this point, they know about Samson all throughout the whole nation of the Philistines. And they surround him, and they waited for him all night at the city gate. And they said at dawn, we will kill him. But Samson leaves in the middle of the night, and he shows another amazing feat of strength. He grabs the door of the gate, and he rips the gate and the post and the whole structure of the city gate out of the ground, and he carries it all the way to the top of the hill. But then Samson's exploit with women doesn't end there. We are told after that episode in verse 4 that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarech whose name was Delilah. Again, this is a Philistine woman. This time we're given her name though, Delilah. And we also see that Samson loved her. And it must have been known that Samson loved Delilah because the lords of the Philistines went to her and said, seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will, give e- we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And so Delilah doesn't seem to have the same love for Samson in return. She immediately goes to him and does the bidding of the Philistines. Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And so he says to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Clearly, she set, has set him up because the lords of the Philistines do this right away. They bind him with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. But unfortunately for them, he lied to Delilah. And so when she says, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, he snaps the bowstrings effortlessly. But Delilah is set on getting her money. In verse 10, she goes to him again and says, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. So this time he tells her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So she sets him up again. She binds him with the new ropes herself this time, and she has men waiting to ambush him. And once again she yells, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But once again he just snaps the ropes effortlessly. But Delilah is persistent. A third time she goes to Samson in verse 13. Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And this time he tells her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. He's getting a little closer to the truth now. Now he's telling her about his hair. Delilah wastes no time. While he's sleeping, she weaves the locks of his hair with a web, fastens it tight. With a pin, like he said, once again she shouts, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he just wakes up, pulls everything out of his hair. Now, reading this story, it's really clear that Samson must really love this woman. Because she keeps trying to have him killed. And he stays with her. (laughs) Now, she pushes him again. In verse 17, she says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. And you have not told me where your great strength lies. So this time, she gets to him. She plays on his love for her. She pressed him, it says, day after day. And he finally gives in. It says his soul was vexed to death. And he finally tells her the truth. It says he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. And I will become weak and be like any other man. Samson not only reveals the secret to removing his strength, but he also has an awareness of the reason, because he has been a Nazarite to God from his mother's womb. But for all of his life, he's lived in complete disregard of this vow and his call. And so Samson, this man who has amazing feats of strength, he, he can kill a thousand warriors with just a jawbone. He cannot overcome the wiles of a woman. And in his love for Delilah, Samson once again shows a disregard for his Nazarite vow, the disregard for God's call upon his life. And this brings us to our second aspect of selfishness from Samson's life, his selfish leadership. Samson led Israel for 20 years, but every account of him we have, he's on his own. He has no friends to counsel him. He has no one to hold him accountable. He doesn't even have an army to help him fight. He always goes solo. He's a selfish man who does everything by himself, for himself. Samson was called by God in the womb to lead his people. But as Samson grows into adulthood, he never once considers filling this role. He does nothing intentionally to deliver his people from the hands of the Philistines. It's actually God just using his selfish revenge to deliver them. He actually spends most of his time fraternizing with the Philistines. Or marrying or sleeping with their women. And as a leader of God's people, he should be working to lead them. But Samson's only concerned with what he wants. He's a completely selfish leader. For us, it's God's people in the church. God continues to call officers, pastors, elders, deacons, people who serve on committees to lead his church. Anyone making decisions in the church. But our leadership can become selfish when we make decisions or act in a way that serve our own interests rather than the good of the church. Specifically, the universal church, the good of the kingdom of God. Selfishness makes us all want to get our own way. It makes us seek our own comfort. We should be willing to sacrifice comfort in order to reach the lost. We should be choosing the comfort of newcomers, the comfort of visitors rather than our own. We should be choosing what's best for the advancement of the gospel rather than what we like or prefer. We should be choosing a culture of selflessness rather than selfishness. And we see Samson, his disregard for God's calling upon his life and he, his people he was called to lead and it does have consequences for after telling his secret to Delilah she called upon the lords of the Philistines once again and says come up for he has told me all his heart this time she knew he wasn't lying so they came to her house and they brought her her money and she made Samson fall asleep in her lap and one of the men cut off his hair and it says that she began to torment him and his strength left him But the word translated as torment him also means to humble. The mighty Samson has now been humbled. His strength has left him and he is just like any other man. And Delilah once again shouts, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And when he woke up, he thought, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. He didn't know the Lord had left him. This was not like the other times. This time, the Philistines were able to seize him, and they immediately gouged out his eyes. They took him down to Gaza, and they imprisoned him there. But it says at the end of this chapter, in verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. It's important to note that there wasn't any magical power in his hair. Samson's strength comes from the Lord. But the growth of Samson's hair indicates that God is going to renew his previous power. God hasn't completely abandoned him. So then the lords of the Philistines, they gather an offering to sacrifice to their god, Dagon. And they celebrate that Samson has been delivered into their hands. In verse 24 it says, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. So they called to bring out Samson to the party so they could be entertained by him. The man who once tormented them because of his strength was now a joke. And they brought Samson out, and he was placed and made to stand between two pillars. And these were the main center pillars that supported the whole building. And they were going to mock him and laugh at him. And then the young man who brought him out, Samson says to him, he asked if he can lean against the pillars. And it says, the house was full of people. All the lords of the Philistine were there. And on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women who were watching the entertainment of this disgraced Samson. And in verse 28, Samson makes one last request. O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson grabs the two pillars on each side of him and he pulls the building down. He says, let me die with the Philistines. And the building comes crashing down and kills everyone that is there, including Samson. It says Samson killed more people in his death than he did in his life. This, though, brings us to our third aspect of selfishness of Samson and the life of Samson. His selfish servitude. Look at the reason he gives when he asks the Lord to strengthen him. He says, Strengthen me this once that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Even in sacrificing his own life, Samson does so out of selfishness. Samson sacrifices his life so that he can get revenge. He was called to be a leader, but a leader in service of God. He's also a servant. He even refers to himself as a servant of the Lord. But Samson wants to die with the Philistines because he was a pathetic shell of the man he once was. The selfish, womanizing Samson no longer has his great strength. Both of his eyes have been gouged out. He never cared for others. He never cared about serving God. He only cared about himself. He only called out to God for help. And his service to the Lord was all about the benefits that he could get out of it. He only cried out when he wanted something. He treated God like a genie in a lamp or some sort of cosmic vending machine. We should be careful not to do this in our own lives. There are benefits to being in Christ, to having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. There are blessings that come to us through faith in Jesus. All the blessings of God come from him. But we can get so focused on the blessings that we can lose sight of the one who gives the blessings. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to live as his servants. And selfish servitude can happen when our lives as Christians become only about what benefits we're getting. The benefits of Christ are great. We should praise the Lord for them. But when our prayers are only about what we need in ourselves, when our worship becomes about our own comfort and things we like to do, rather than glorifying God, we can become self-focused as Christians, without even realizing it. But we are servants of the great king, Jesus Christ. And our focus should be on him and his kingdom. We should be willing to sacrifice for the good of his kingdom and his gospel. And we should desire to know and love him above everything. Samson sacrificed himself to save his people. But he did so only out of self-pity and the desire for revenge. But Jesus also sacrificed himself to save his people. But he did so out of humility, out of selflessness, out of a love for his people. And we can give ourselves over to Jesus Christ and focus on loving him and loving others because he laid down his life so that we can have life in him. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and we continue to struggle with sin. We're all selfish in countless ways. But Jesus died that we may be forgiven. In Jesus, we have the selfless one who died for the selfish, that our hearts may be changed, that we can now live for him. It's through the death of Jesus Christ that we can put to death our old selves, and we can live for something greater than ourselves. We can live for the kingdom of God as citizens of heaven. We can live out our faith, and we can love God, and we can love others only through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, And so, if you have not come to faith in Christ, give your life over to him. Because Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross and died the death that we deserve. Jesus is the only one who ever lived a sinless, perfectly righteous life so that we can have his righteousness before God. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that your sins are forgiven, that you have his righteousness in life and in death. And that you can put aside living for yourself and live for Jesus and his kingdom. In Jesus Christ, you have everything. Without him, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in your grace and in your mercy to glorify you and to worship you. We know that all too often we are lovers of ourselves. We look to sustain ourselves. We try to be self-sufficient. We want our own accomplishments and accolades. But your love for us is so great, you are all that we need. Help us to spend our days loving, praising, and admiring you. Help us give ourselves to you completely, everything we have and everything we are. All of our possessions, our children, our hopes, our dreams, we lay them at your feet. They are yours because we are yours. We behold your glory. We revel in your grace. We're in all of your mercy. May each day we grow more and more in our love for Christ as we put off our love of ourselves. May we come to truly love you, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.